Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg. I'm Jen. This is episode 20. The big 2-0. 20. I would say dub digits, but I already said that on episode 10. Yeah, and we've dub, already dub. done it. So. Dub dub digits, yo. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, I'm so sorry. today, but, well, you don't have to be sorry for being that cool. I mean, you you were just so cool that like you never have to apologize for being so cool. Thank you. Okay, Thank no you for, for stoking that ego. So the uh, the theme of the podcast this week is going to be, oops, <laughs> oops, <laughs> oopsies. Okay, so technically this first story doesn't fit into my oopsies, but the next three do, and it just felt the best way to do it. So, right. but we want to start with this one because this was really really important to me. So this happened just last night, they announced it, late just last night. Just last night. So uh, as you know, people are buying more and more things online, Amazon, Zappos for your shoes and such. And a lot of what people are calling brick and mortar stores are suffering. JCPenney is one that comes to mind and also Sears closing a lot of their stores lately. Which is never a good thing. Never like, a we, good thing. We, we never want to like be happy when a store closes or when a business goes out like that's that's never a good thing when people lose their jobs it's never a good thing right well what was just announced was that GameStop is actually going to close at least the article that that we saw closing at least 150 stores in 2017 after a fairly weak holiday season this past year yeah when when I was working there there was like a, a boom in growth so I was there before they bought Funko Land, which was a chain of about 500 stores at the time. And GameStop bought them first, then converted them to GameStops. Then later GameStop, they say GameStop and EB Games merged, but GameStop bought EB Games. It's just the truth of it. Like from a corporate standpoint, they were like, hey, you guys merged together so that, you know, it's not a, it's, it wasn't a fight. There weren't any winners and losers. <laughs> yeah, and then all the GameStop guys. We didn't ferociously well, take over your company. <laughs> it, it's funny because a lot of us had been entrenched against EB stores for years. Oh. And you felt like that. You felt like they were competitors. So then, of course, when we merged, we were like, we won. Of course we won. <laughs> like, let's, let's just tell, let's call what it is. I mean, we won. It's okay. We weren't, I wasn't bragging about it, but it just is what it is. Our company bought yours. It's fine. You're still working here. I'm still working here. Now we're, we're coworkers. It's fine. But I always thought it was funny because you had that, like, that's how corporate was trying to spin it. Like, hey, don't, you know, it's not bragging time. It's, you know, no one won. It's a merger. We're coming. To, yeah. Yeah. No, GameStop, GameStop had money. EB didn't. What was the shingle that was put out on those EB games? <laughs> yeah. It was a GameStop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what's funny is like, the EB Games name stuck in Canada because it had a more positive rating oh. there. And then the GameStop name had way more positive equity in the U.S. than EB Games did. EB Games, like, it had its diehard fans, but it was, you know, it definitely wasn't as um, positively looked at as the GameStop name was. Like, they did a lot of brand research on that, and that's what they came to. So that means that if we ever took a trip to Canada, we would see an EB game. Oh, sure. Yeah, right they're, next they're... to, like, a Tim Hortons. Yeah, <laughs> Tom Hortons? <laughs> Tim Hortons. Tim Tim Norton's? Tom Norton's? It's a, it's a donut It's shop. donuts. I want donuts. When are we going to Canada? I don't know. Well, Should I, I want to go see an EB Games in the wild. Nice. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, so they have around 7,500 stores currently. So 150, not... Very many, but still, that's 150 stores worth of people that are employed that are losing their job. Yeah, like when going back to what I was saying earlier, I actually lost my train of thought because we were joking about EB Games and such. But I, um, 
I was there for this rapid expansion. When when I was there, uh, Green Bay only had one. It was technically software, etc. Uh, and then it became GameStop. But uh, you know, there was only one store. And then now, then then they when I in my time there, they'd opened a pier. They had opened um, Mason Street was a EB Games, and then they took that over. The one over by the Sam's Club. The one by Sam's Club. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then Bellevue opened. I don't think Bellevue opened when I was there technically anymore, but then you saw just rapid expansion. They were going into every little town they could find. Like there's one in Shawano and there's right. one in uh, like Rhinelander. They put one. Aren't there two in uh, the Fox River mall? There, there used to be an EB games and a GameStop there. Oh. I personally closed that EB games. <laughs> like I, I was, uh, I was, I went in, I was just the, the harbinger of death. Okay. I didn't, I didn't originate the idea. It's not like I told them to close, but I was told to facilitate the closure. So I actually closed it down. A hard hearted harbinger of haggis. Yes. And I will say that, uh, it, it, the guys who worked with me there, it was like, basically they were the ones losing their job and they had to work out that two weeks to get their severance and stuff, but they worked hard and they were good guys. So like, you always hate to see people lose their job, but anyway, so yeah, it ends up being like what, two to three percent of their stores. It's not that big a deal because they have a lot, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some interesting things that came out. So they're they're saying that they had weak fourth quarter sales. They're saying their hardware sales dropped twenty nine percent, and software dropped nineteen percent. Uh, GameStop announced closures are part of an annual plan revealed three years ago to trim out quote unquote non productive stores. But here's something to think about. So why did they open those stores in the first place? Well, I mean, if you... Well, or, or do you think they oversaturated the market? That's what I think. I, I think, think they that put too it's, it's kind of like that. But here's here's a couple numbers that were really surprising to me. When you think about how much buying power and how much revenue and profit that GameStop does make in a given year. According to this USA Today article, it talks about their struggles illustrated by a, in global sales a little bit over 13.5%. So that's 13.6% drop in global sales, which equates to $3 billion. Not just three, actually $3.05 billion. That's 13% of their sales. Yeah. I can't even fathom that much money. it's, It's amazing how big they actually are. I don't think a lot of people realize how much money goes through that place. But unfortunately, like with every company, you almost can get too big. And if you don't have the upper management in place to manage that growth, you start to see issues. And I think because the the problem with GameStops and the reason that their sales are dropping, like one of the things they blamed, they blamed that uh, GameStop blamed the uh, downward turn on um, like games that missed the fourth quarter. So they're saying that delayed mm, games cut into their sales. Well, I mean, think about like how many how many copies of a game GameStop will sell if it's a bestseller type of game. Sure, but everybody has to deal with that. Like Best Buy and Amazon and all those guys have to. Um, and then they also talk about other retailers' aggressive console promotions for their fourth quarter slump. So basically what they're saying is other retailers put them on sale and they didn't. Well, but here's the thing. Places like Best Buy and Amazon, games aren't the only thing they sell. So they're not going to be as affected by like a slump in video game sales or where something was delayed and they were kind of counting on it for being, you know, a big source of revenue. But I mean, I think really what it boils down to is that more people are buying things online. They don't really need or want to go and get that kind of service. Some people still do. 
some people want to talk to their local GameStop employee about a game that just came out, or they could not leave the comfort of their home and just watch PewDiePie play it online. Right. <laughs> well, it. I, I think that's part of it, but video game sales aren't going down. So you're right. So what, what that tells us what is happening is that the market's getting more competitive, right? So if the market's more competitive, one thing that I have to really admit that GameStop's been really slacking on the last couple of years is sort of matching and beating promotions of other mm. companies. For right. the longest time, GameStop ran um, completely unmatched with competition. There was nobody else doing trade-ins. There was no, like nobody else was doing trade-ins off the ground or had it running in a, in a decent capacity. You know, even when I was back there, that's when Walmart and Best Buy started doing trade-ins. Like this is mm -hmm. like six years ago, seven years ago. And back then it was like, oh, this might kill us. But even now they still have a huge advantage over those guys just based on how much they've been doing it for years. Like GameStop's been doing trade-ins for like, man, like it's gotta be 20 years, if not oh. more, like, like as a general, so they, they've got the system down, right? But so they ran around as the top dog forever with no competition. And now that competition starting to rise up, GameStop's nowhere to be found. They're just doing their thing. It, it almost reminds me, and I don't want to get like too hasty, but it almost reminds me of Blockbuster when family videos started coming along and Netflix started coming along. Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix. Shut up. There was a, there was a point in time where Blockbuster could have bought Netflix <gasps> and they kind of scoffed at the notion and turned it down. Oops. It, it, it'll, yeah. <laughs> Oops. Um, so you've got all these kind of like interesting parallels because now GameStop's doing kind of the same thing. Like they're looking at what they're doing is right. Now, what I will say I know about GameStop as a company, they are very smart. They are shifting focus. Now, as they said, they're they're closing down some stores. They are planning on opening um, 65 technology brand locations and 35 collectible stores. Right, because So they... they're opening 100 stores and closing 150. Mm -hmm. But the stores they're opening are Cricket Wireless, which is like cell phone providing, and they're opening ThinkGeek stores, which... I, right, you know, I was just going to say that it, even though they're, they're branching out, they're expanding their market. Which they've always done. Mm -hmm. And and they, they always find a way to survive. I'll, I actually give them a lot of credit for that. When I was an employee there, I always felt like that company was taking care of itself. I felt good about where they were trying to go. They were on top of trends, you know, and people have been saying that GameStop is going to die for years because eventually games will be digital and all. That's not happening. So what is killing them, though, is Online. not matching deals with your competitors right. and not having good service. Now, when I say that, because I have friends that listen to this that still work there, when I refer to service, I'm not even necessarily referring to the individual employees and how they help people. Because I don't think the employees are given the tools to help the people that they can. Mm. So, for instance, all the employees have to hound people for reserves and subscriptions to Game Informer Magazine. Like, you just have to. It's what you have to do. Not to mention other things like GPGs, which are called uh, gameplay guarantees. Mm -hmm. You add a few bucks to the purchase of your game, and they'll replace it if you break it. So it's like a warranty on the game. game. Or or they just add it and then just say like they're doing you a favor, uh, and they'll just be like, <laughs> I just added like, that. Oh, hey, no I took worries. care of that for you. Hey, hey, I, I got you locked up for, for two years. But here's the thing: yes, GameStop does take care of itself, but are they only looking out for GameStop? GameStop's only looking out for GameStop's survival, which you could make the argument that this is what they're doing. They're closing stores in favor of branching out into other markets like the collectibles and the wireless in order to preserve themselves and to hell with those employees that work at the 150. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of look at this as like bracing for impact. Mm. Like this is where, this is where they're saying, if we get ahead of this now, we can minimal damage and we'll, we'll shift our focus and they'll keep shifting their focus. however many times they need to, 
hopefully a lot of those people typically what happens when a store closes is they they try to relocate those employees to other stores if I they can hope so um and if you can't then they're given a severance depending on how long they work there and that's it well and just to kind of put a little capstone on this i mean like you said that they're diversifying they're they're trying to not put all their eggs in that one basket right. that is GameStop. And I mean, I didn't even realize that Think Geek was purchased and bought out by GameStop until recently. I want to say Hot Topic was trying to buy them too. <laughs> and I think like GameStop at the last minute just snuck in and like bought them out. It was something really weird. That sounds about right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, it, you know, it's, and getting uh, back to the customer service thing, um, besides uh, all the selling that the employees have to do, they're also limited by payroll. So each GameStop store um, is only given so many hours a week to use. Mm -hmm. And then, so you, you schedule as much as you can, but most of the time you have these huge gaps when you have more people in the store than you have people that can help them. And what I, what's funny about GameStop and any corporate entity, I guess, that's too short-sighted, which I believe GameStop is sometimes, they, they, they can quantify a single number. They can quantify that if you cut payroll, you save money. So if they say every store cuts five hours this week, we save a million bucks. That's quantifiable. They they can they can they can put that on paper. They can put that into into the the you know the sheets. That that's that's the thing. But when you can't you can't quantify how much money you're losing by seeing that you didn't have enough people to help the people on the sales floor. Oh, so you know somebody has to ask wants to ask a question, and you know you've got the guy working at the register, a guy helping somebody get something out of the case. So you get frustrated and you leave. Exactly. He mean? maybe he's got a bag of trade-ins mm -hmm. that GameStop will buy for you know twenty bucks and try to sell for five hundred. And <laughs> sorry, <laughs> so I see that but, meme more than anything uh, else, where it's like they you see a shelf full of games. It's like look at this, you can trade it in for GameStop for ten bucks. For ten bucks. So. <laughs> Well, and, and I, I normally don't trash them for their prices, but I will say lately as I've been looking things up, because we we bounce off them, like we check them to make sure we're still beating them on prices. And sometimes, like just the other day, there was a game, I, I don't recall which game it was, they were selling it for $34.99, and um, they were selling it for $34.99, and they were buying it for $8. I mean, that's, again, it's not, and I'm not saying that they need to pay $25 for it, but 8 into 34 five that's quite a flip. that's less than 25 percent of value i mean that's crazy you that know we're, we, we like to sit around the 40 50 percent range and even that sometimes you know you feel bad because you want to pay more you just can't you know because you got to pay your bills and such but yeah i just oh man it was crazy that uh um you know that that they paid so little but anyway uh so they can't quantify though like say someone brings them in a big bag of trades and they're helping three people deep the guy just goes ah forget it and he walks out they could have made three or four hundred dollars off that mm -hmm. transaction, but they don't know that they lost that. You can't you can't put that number down on paper. No. There's no number there to say you lost because so GameStop's been notorious over the over the. I mean, realistically, I've been familiar with their process for 17 years working there and, and since. And it's never changed. They look at payroll. They cut payroll. All the managers are struggling because they don't have enough hours. They can't help all the people. And then on top of that, they give you more stuff to do because they just feel like you're standing around all the time. If you got time to lean, yeah. you get time to clean. Time to clean. So, <laughs> like and again, every other retail job, somebody right. works. And and I don't blame the employees for that. I mean, plus the all the employees that are part time make minimum wage. Unless you're a part time key holder, you'll make just a fraction over minimum wage, so that you're making more than the guy that you're technically a supervisor of. The assistant managers and managers 
don't make enough to justify the work that they're expected to do. It's really mm-hmm. frustrating to me because I have a lot of friends that work there and I wish that they, um, you know, could get out and do something else. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because when you look at stores like Circuit City that closed down Blockbuster, a lot of the common things they did was they didn't get with the times and they didn't have the best service. And I feel like GameStop is decent at staying with the times, but they're not so decent with customer service. Like, mm. and, and I remember there was a time I was so proud to work there. And there was a time when people would come into our store. We did a midnight launch for the original Black Ops. There must have been a thousand people there. Holy crap. A thousand people at a midnight launch. We had a line out the door. It wrapped around the building and all the way around the parking. Holy crap. It, it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe that we had that many people at one store. A thousand people. Walmart across the street had copies. And no lines, and everyone <laughs> waited in line at my store because they wanted to. They liked us. They liked the store. They liked the community feel. They liked the staff. Didn't you get a pizza too? We always ordered pizzas. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we did a we did a giveaway where like they, we had this promotional box that, that Activision gave us that was like it looked like an ammo crate, but it had like promotional materials for Jeez. the game, and it, we we uh, we uh, uh, raffled that off. We did some cool stuff, but um, so I'm I'm worried that this could be like again they're good at adapting. But that only takes you so far, and their reputation seems to be getting worse and worse with gamers. Mm. Um, Amazon recently started doing that. If you're a Prime member, you get 20% off of all new release games that come out. Damn. So you just get 20% off. And then Best Buy has a thing where if you pay 30 bucks for two years, you get 20% off all new games. So Best Buy and Amazon are destroying them right now in new game sales. Now, here's what's funny, and here's the thing that a lot of people don't know. So GameStop doesn't really make any money off new games. So right. a brand new game at GameStop that you paid 60 bucks for, they realistically paid around $52, $53 for. So if you ask me as a business owner, if a $53 purchase to try to make $7 is worth it, I say hell no. <laughs> I don't typically carry things with that low of margins. However, the reason GameStop does is because they want people to trade in their games towards the new releases. Right, it's all about that whole circle of life or exactly. whatever they exactly. called it, renamed it to. Exactly. And so you want you need the trade-ins because that's where you're making all your money. Right. But you can't get trade-ins if you don't have the games that people want. And what do people want typically? The new release games. So you right. get these people into that cycle of the, the circle of life or the cycle, the four pillars, whatever the hell they want to call it now. It's been the same idea renamed a <laughs> hundred times over uh, since I was there. But yeah, uh so that's kind of why they push trade in so much, and that's why they carry new games because it would be pr- more profitable for them to pull all the new games off the shelf and just sell all the used ones. But you wouldn't get the used ones if you didn't have the new ones. Right. It's just like me. Sometimes I think that it'd be really cool just to have like an online store, right? It'd be a lot lo- less overhead. I could work out of the house, all this other stuff. But if I don't have a store, I don't get people to bring me the trade ins I need. Right. And that's that's kind of the business. Um, you need to have that storefront. You need to have and and categories are interesting like like in at game trade like we'll have a category that's kind of light on the number of games we have like say playstation vita we only have like 20 or 30 vita games 20 vita games probably and we never get more because people don't want to sell us theirs because we don't have anything they want to buy Mm. it's all it's it's a real it's a it's a it's a never-ending cycle it's really hard to break out of and over time eventually a section will grow as with ps4 and xbox one is slowly growing but even that's hard to grow because people don't want to trade us their stuff if they can't have something to buy in its, in its place so it's, it's it's an interesting um you know trade-off but that's kind of why i can see why their stores are they're they're trying to refocus on things that have higher markups like these think geek stores where they have just a lot of nerd pop culture stuff i love that site. um oh, i so i love much cool stuff i, I like i like think geek i'm worried about them now you know like i hope 
GameStop doesn't try to inject too much in there. Like, nice. I hope they just let the business, because it was successful without GameStop. It really was. So it was let them be one successful. of the most successful. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about GameStop. I mean, I, I we never like to see anybody lose their jobs. And, and say GameStop closed all of its stores tomorrow. That'd be bad for the gaming industry, though, too. You'd sell less copies of games. And it's it's never good. And I'd love GameStop instead to kind of clean up their act a little bit and have, like, their corporate policies. I want them to pay their employees more. I want them to take care of their people. That sort of stuff is what I want. I don't just want them to go away or close down. I'd like them to pay more in trade-ins and stuff like that. I'd like them to help build a better gaming area, you know, a better culture in the area. And lucky for us, the president of GameStop definitely listens to Yeah, us. and so I know you're listening, the CEO. <laughs> can't think of his name tony something i think um i met him a couple times he he's he was wow. a fine he was a fine fellow you know and like i met the Look original at you hot shit I'm, I'm kind of i'm kind of a big deal you know i'm game trade greg i'm on the radio you know we got this podcast you know so anyway what do we got Anywho. next my dear well last week we talked about on um Mass Effect Andromeda and the facial expressions and so on. And that kind of blew up last week. And throughout the course of the week, you know, some people have been, you know, after the launch, posting some screenshots and some videos and everything. But there was an article that came out where it was a former employee who worked for BioWare. Yep. Kind of throwing an explanation out onto the internet without any sort of shade <laughs> this is the sort of stuff i love though like i like, I like people who are actually know what's going on talking about it as opposed to a bunch <clears throat> of even tech sites that are like oh look at this we, we ran a rundown of blah 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 and it's like well this is somebody who actually worked there and who works in the industry and understands it his name is jonathan cooper he's former former bioware Coop. animator cooper Coop. Coop. <laughs> Uh, he worked at Bioware as an animator and worked on the first two Mass Effect games, and he currently works on uh, at Naughty Dog. Okay, so and the guy knows his stuff. He knows basically. his stuff. I am super envious because I've I if I could work at any gaming studio, it would be Naughty Dog. Hmm. I just I love Naughty Dog. I love the Uncharted series. It's fantastic. But he says that, you know, obviously the two game styles, Mass Effect and Uncharted, are completely different from each other. So he says it's not fair to compare those two in terms of animation or gameplay or anything like, like that. He's, yeah, he's saying that it's not fair to say, well, this game's not as good as Uncharted. Because he's saying that Mass Effect's an RPG that's open, and Uncharted's a very linear, like, um, you go here, then here, then here. Yeah, it's, it's a tightly scripted action game, as they call it. And just a side note, I think that Naughty Dog does a very good job of leading you where you want to go without feeling like, like you're being led there. Yeah, and, I don't know how to explain it. And I will say, Naughty Dog's animations, like their character oh, interactions are so unbelievable. Good. Like Drake and, oh man, I mean... Oh, it, it's that game. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just its animations are perfect. Like they they are so natural, and the mm -hmm. voice acting so the, good. The voice acting is what kind of puts again, a little seal on there. Different different genre. But what he had said, and he broke it down in kind of layman's terms, that the game animations for Mass Effect Andromeda may not have even been done by a person, but rather an algorithm. Mm. So nobody it may not have even been touched by hand, stating that an algorithm is responsible for some of the wacky goofs that you see that people are posting online. And 
he says that it's lower in quality with Andromeda than when he worked at Bioware. Okay. Um, but you know, it, it's whatever the algorithm they're using is not either not uh, optimized, but just is a different algorithm than what they or what they had used, or they did it all by hand, quote unquote, fingers to keyboard sort of animation. They may have done it to try and save some time. Well, I think, well, it's funny because we touched upon this last week. We actually said it not knowing. I said, well, maybe it's just an algorithm that, that is set. These these are like, you know, these animations. I said, this is most likely a program they're running through. This isn't, oh, right. like, I was like, I'm pretty sure there's not one person, like, animating that and going, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, oh, like no. That, yeah, exactly. it's clearly, it's, it's a system that they've built. And what you can tell they're doing is EA is trying to, unfortunately, um, EA now is basically doing sweeping across the board sort of you know algorithms for stuff like that so they'll what they'll do is they'll make it like this sort of algorithm for this game then they'll use it in their next dragon age game and they'll use it in the next mass effect game because they're trying to get this process streamlined and have as less people have to work on the game they're trying to cut costs it's not it's not a dumb thing to do it's just that's what they're trying to do they're trying to streamline the process cut costs and have it more simplified instead of paying one person to animate everyone's face you can have a computer program that's going to run their face kind of like animatronics which i was joking about right exactly so, so, Cheese. yeah you know like they're all just dancing and, and everything so um so it was interesting to hear him say that and he i thought he was pretty respectful he didn't like talk trash about them but he did admit that it's lower quality than andromeda and he said that it often displays the my face is tired animation because it may be focusing on the lip syncing aspect of exactly. it so again it's, it's it's a coding issue not an animating issue. Well, and he actually said on Twitter, the article that we're referencing actually linked to his like Twitter page or whatever. And one of his posts says, the one positive to come out of all of this with Mass Effect Andromeda is that AAA story-heavy games can't skimp on the animation quality with a systematic approach alone. Hmm. So he's making the kind of generalization or statement that you know there are some gaming industry companies you know these AAA developers that would rather have a better storyline than good graphics it's they have to weigh that and unfortunately it looks like Mass Effect relied more heavily on the storyline as opposed to the game mechanics and people are noticing and they're not liking what they're seeing. Well, and he also says that the audience has grown more discerning, which makes our job more difficult, but furthers animation quality and animators as a requirement. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's a couple of things that, that bother me about this story. So the first one is this game was already delayed at least four months. It, I think it was supposed to originally be earlier last year. But then it got delayed till fall of last year, then it got delayed till March of this year. Okay? So it already got delayed. What was what would be wrong with them just delaying it another six months to get that figured out? Maybe it wasn't fixable in six months, unfortunately. Maybe, and maybe I, it is something knows. they can patch in later. Who knows? But that bothers me. But the other thing that bothers me more is just that this franchise is gotta be one of EA's top franchises. They have to know that. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't care. Like like what wh- what how do you let this go? How did they not think the fans were going to be pissed off at this? Well, it just, you think about all the hands that some, touch it. Everybody, yeah. like, not just 
the end product and, and the end consumer, but there are QA testers that are testing this and, and trying to find issues. And there are animators that are looking at things as they're getting developed. And they're constantly looking at the work that they've done and people are testing it as they're going. How did nobody... I I can't imagine there was not one person who said, like, didn't... like I can't... Yeah. I'm, I'm running into double negatives and it's really making me mad. <laughs> I can't fathom... Speaking from, I mean, I did QA testing for two and a half years for software, but it's similar in, in terms of there's what we call look and feel. If you're trying to make something look realistic and feel realistic, you can kind of tell when something's not. You know, you just get this gut feeling. It's the same thing of um, how you can tell something is um, inappropriate, like if you can't put words to it, but you know when you see it. Like, you know when something's mm. inappropriate when you see it, but you can't necessarily put the words to it. It's a similar kind of thing. It's like if you were a quality assurance tester for this game, how could you not say something? Well, you get frustrated because you're right. So many people work there and it had to go through so many hands. How, how did nobody bring this up in a meeting? And I can't. There had to. But if, if I worked there, I would have been like right there. But like, hey. We got to fix this facial animation. And maybe it was, no, that's going to take too long. That's going to be later. I mean, that those kind of decisions and conversations happen all the time throughout software development. And it's not just with game development. All software, that you find defects, you find bugs in the software, you find issues. And those issues get documented, prioritized, and worked on. I was just going to say, and then you'll also know that they're prioritized. Yes. So, so what does that tell you? that there must have been other things so much higher prioritized than that. I mean, how much trouble was this game in if that, which is a glaring issue, was bumped down the priority list? Well, and you have to think about what what their priorities are. For some reason, I remember reading an article, and unfortunately, I can't, I can't find it because I was like, do I was in that article rabbit hole where you click on an article, which leads you <laughs> to another article, and it was something to the effect of, what I had referenced earlier, which was storyline over animation. And it's obvious that they prioritize storyline over animation for this. It's, it's just, it's obvious, but that doesn't make the game bad. It right. just makes it kind of funny. It just makes the sometimes. animations kind of bad, but I mean, that doesn't mean the story can't still be told well. And I really want to play it. I'm a Mass Effect guy. You know, I own like mm -hmm. 20 and seven. But I mean, what's, What's the um that game that we were playing that was uh the Back to the Future one? Oh, like the Telltale. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I like to me that's R right, that the Telltale game is Back to the Future. Yeah, it's so distracting it because me out of the game. it's like they're talking and you know their mouth is moving once for every five words and it's super distracting. But the storyline is what you're playing it for. Right. And, and every, that, that's why there's different categories of what, you know, like when ga people review games, too, they'll say, well, the visuals and the audio and the replayability, like there's different things because there are different things that can give you positive and negative experiences. Right. And I don't think it's going to kill the game. And I know that's something they'll fix. I know it's something they'll patch. But will they patch it in six months? Who knows how long it's going to take? Um, but yeah, so uh, uh, oops. <laughs> oops. Oops. These animations still stink. But I got to give a lot of props to to Jonathan Cooper, you know, animator at Naughty Dog right now. Did work at Bioware. He obviously doesn't seem to have any hard feelings with Bioware, but 
He's probably he, also smart enough to know you don't burn any bridges in that right. industry. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he is, he knows what he's talking about, especially having worked at Bioware. So probably, you know, earlier with the first, well, mm-hmm. yeah, for the first two games. Um, so you got to wonder, he looks really familiar too. He, well, he kind of looks like David Duchovny to me. Like, like I'm looking at his like picture David, on Twitter. David Duchovny and the guy that played Agent Cooper on Twin yeah, Peaks yeah. had a baby. That would be Jonathan Cooper. Which almost that is possible in that show. Well, <laughs> kind of an biologically. We, if, if we finished, we finally finished Twin Peaks. Thank God. It, it hey. was really rough in the middle, but it gets really good at the end. It's very good. And I obviously ends on a cliffhanger. But uh, you do get to see a young uh fox Mulder, young david Duchovny. young david Duchovny, wow. and he is uh he's don't, a, don't, no don't, okay no. he's in it that's you all you have to watch it it's good I will it's good i did not know that he was in there and in the show and once i saw him i was like this show just yeah. got bumped to the top 10 <laughs> to- to- totally better totally better with it and me i am a lifelong david Duchovny fan so it was that much better but strangely have not watched californication I love that show. Mm-hmm. Well, I should say I love the first three seasons of that show. Uh, and it's really, really good. But a lot of people have a hard time with David Duchovny's character. Mm. Because he seems kind of like a loner. And isn't he like a, like he's got sexual addiction? He, he's essentially like a, a sexual, a sex addict, you know, like, like who's, he's a, he's a writer from New York who's living in L.A. and hates it. And mm. he, he blames Los Angeles for his family falling apart because basically they moved from New York to L.A. And then they split up, uh, and then his what his ex girlfriend they were never married. His ex girlfriend of like twenty years, and they have a daughter together. Oh. She's getting remarried, oh. so it's kind of him. And so it's him. You know, he's he he essentially went to L.A. because his book got turned into a movie, ah. which he also hates because they oh, sure. they turned into a bad movie, basically with Tom Cruise and oh, and, uh, and and uh, I can't remember. Who, but anyway, oh, it's sure. it's a horrible. You know, it's a funny story. It's a good premise. Underneath it all, there's a really touching love story. I think it's really good, and it's it's a really troubled individual. And I think it's a really great story. But unfortunately, it's it's hilarious, and I do think so. But there's also like they really go over the top with the sex. Well, so like it's it's almost like it's distracting to a point sometimes. Like he's hooking up with a new woman like every episode practically, and you're right. like, okay. I mean, it's not well, like I'm offended by it. I just it's almost like it's taking away from other things. But and you know, I usually give most series that I watch three episodes and if it doesn't draw me in after three episodes i don't we should watch watch three episodes of that because i think it would draw you in i I watched one episode and i'm like nope yeah the first episode starts (laughs) just in the strangest way can't can't watch this show but um, i'm so sorry david i can't (laughs) but i think i think if i was there we could we will get through it um so anyway Anyway. one thing that has nothing at all to do with david Duchovny. no well you know i picture it the, the summer of 1998. <laughs> That's, what was I doing the summer of 98? Okay. Summer of 98, <laughs> I was about to start my senior year of high school. Okay. Okay. Uh, I had gotten my first computer. My grandma helped me out <laughs> with a loan. And I bought a compact Presario. Nice. Which never needs updating. Which never needs updating. <laughs> uh, I bought a compact Presario. Uh, and I used to... I was playing... Diablo and Starcraft. Well, Diablo won online, and I was waiting for the new hotness to come out. Mm-hmm. 
Well, what happened in 1998 was that StarCraft was released. StarCraft came out in 1998, which which was a very big part of my childhood. I played (laughs) more so than playing the game, too. uh, The original Blizzard games, this was kind of fun. So originally, the Blizzard games had like a lobby. It was like a chat room. And you could create your own chat rooms. Hmm. And you could have bots running your chat room. If you were in the chat room, you could kick people out. Hmm. Um, Which now I just realized this story does have to do with David Duchovny and sex. Just because... What? There was a sex chat room, like like you, oh. basically you would do backslash sex, and it was like that was that was the name of that chat room. Oh, and it would be like four hundred people in there, and they're all talking dirty, and you're like, oh, man, this is, you're like this is so cool. <laughs> like I'm on, the, like like I'm trying to explain how I felt at that time to people who may or may not have experienced that too. The internet was so unbelievable back then, like, and it was mostly just chat rooms. And it was some online game, but it was mostly chat rooms, and it was just the idea that you were talking to people around the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just on. It was unfathomable well, at that moment for someone who grew up in the '80s completely without it. Oh, sure. Then yeah. got it and went all the way through it because the internet, the the explosion of the internet in the '90s was like mind-boggling. How how far it went. Well, and it's crazy how much it's it's come. Yeah. just in the last and, ten years. And and I would stay up. Um, my brother Joe and I would play StarCraft. Um, I believe he had his own computer at that point, or, or soon after he would get his own. Um, and oh man, we you could. Blizzard had this really cool thing with its early games. You could, what they called, spawn a copy. So if you had one copy of the game, you could spawn copies to play LAN with other people without them having to buy the game. Nice. So it was smart on their part because it got them to go to LANs and get it get it all in there. So StarCraft, like, that game is really was really, really good. In fact, it might be the last really good RTS that I played. Like, I just never got into... After StarCraft, I never wanted to play any other ones. I never got into... Even StarCraft Two. I never really got into. Well, guess what, Greg? I think all my dreams are about to come true. <laughs> this summer, StarCraft Remastered is coming to your PC. This was just announced last night, too. Blizzard announced they're remastering StarCraft in 4K. They're redoing all the cutscenes, and I hope that they just leave the game alone as far as balancing goes, but they're trying to bring back the magic of StarCraft. Well, it looks like they do have some enhancements to the Remastered Edition. Um, this is a quote here. Advanced matchmaking, full connectivity to Blizzard's gaming network for social features and updates, cloud saving for campaign progress, custom maps, replays, and keybinds, and support for 13 languages. What's really <laughs> funny about that is I was just saying this the other day. I was going through my Blizzard account, and I had all my old games registered, like Warcraft 3 and that. And I was like, why don't they just have these as part of the Blizzard launcher? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't they have all right. their games just playable through the launcher? I, and why don't they update them? And I, it just makes no sense to me. Like, people would still buy Warcraft 3 and play it. People still play Warcraft 3. Especially when you've got World of Warcraft and game like like Legion expansion having so much to do with the lore. And you uh-huh. can play Warcraft 3 and see all that stuff. That's very true. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's amazing. They're going to uh, offer it the classic real-time strategy game, uh, campaign, and multiplayer mode for 4k as you said and it will include original soundtrack and dialogue which is re-recorded and rejuvenated good because the original sound like that's a soundtrack i often forget about when i think about great soundtracks starcraft's music kicks ass it's like sci-fi wild west like it's got this kind of western sci-fi feel to it Mm -hmm. oh i just love it it's absolutely fantastic soundtrack um but that's a great that's a great game and, and now we can oh man i'm just so excited for i'm that. excited to see it because i i am not I'm a Star Trek fan, Star Wars fan as well, and uh, I never, I've never played StarCraft. StarCraft is, I hate to say it, but you know how Adam always talks about Warhammer 40k? Yeah. StarCraft is Blizzard's kind of rip-off equivalent of that. 
They yes. took a lot of themes. They took a lot of ideas from that, and mm-hmm. they basically stole it. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say stole it because they changed enough where it's original, but like they're space marines. Like they straight up have a unit called space marines, and they're guys that have like armor and they carry guns. Like, <laughs> like they're which is literally what they call the Warhammer 40k guys are space ah. marines. Like it's it's really now the idea is different. Mm-hmm. I know, but you know it is what it is. But anywho, um, so Starcraft's getting remastered, which is just excellent. There's no oops. In There's there, no oops though. in that. That no. was the one actually when I started the podcast. I was like, now this first story doesn't have an oops in it because for some reason I thought we were opening with Starcraft. Oh, oops. So then you went to so then oh, you oops. Oops. <laughs> so then I oops. You said something else, and I was like, oh yeah. Because when you when you tell me the article, well, you when we, when we talk about it, I go in the order that we talk about them. So. Oh, I'm totally, I'm 100% sure it was my fault. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. But this last story, our main story, does have to do with... Another oopsie. Oops. But, I love this story, actually. This makes this, <laughs> this makes me laugh a lot. Um, So we've talked about Witcher 3 in great, particular. Great game. And uh, did you know... I know you know, and She's I know asking, I know, but I'm asking, asking the, audience. the audience. But did you know, gentle audience, that Witcher is actually based on a book series, a Ukrainian writer? A lot of people I'm, don't know that. No, well, now, now you do. Ukrainian? Uh, I thought he was Polish. Is it Polish? It's Polish, yeah. Oh, He's Polish. shoot. All right, I'm so sorry. Polish. Well, Geralt's never going to forgive you for that. He's going <laughs> anyway. to judges me with his eyes. He's he's not happy with you right um, now. I'm going to mispronounce and butcher this, but it's Andres, uh, Andreshez Sapkowski. Sapkowski. That sounds like a name you'd hear around here. But and, Andres, Andres. Yeah, it looks like Andre with a J Andre, Andrej. It's okay, like cool. Andrage. Um, but anyway, <laughs> he is kind of like the how you said it, the Polish J.R.R. Tolkien. That's how they refer to him there. Created like, like, like the huge. whole series. Yeah, like, like he's a big deal there. So several years ago, <laughs> CD Projekt Red approached uh, Sapkowski, uh, Sapkowski and said, hey, we want to make a Witcher video game. In fact, we, we are going to eventually make three, but they didn't know that at the time. But can we give you a percentage of our sales in exchange to use the story and the characters and all that? And I'll bet you he was very receptive to that. He said, just give me my money now. He said, I don't think you're going to be successful. <laughs> I don't think this is going to make any money. So give me all the chunk of money right now. I don't want a percent of your sales, you nerds. <laughs> so he. Got a, you know, I'm picturing in my head the exchange between him and CD Projekt Red where they handed him a burlap sack with a big dollar sign on it Mm -hmm. and said, here you go. Here is your cut. And since then, CD Projekt Red has made lots and boatloads of money. And recently, he came out and said, well, they brought a big bag of money. What I expect from an adaptation, a big bag of money. That's all. But then called his decision to accept the lump sum as opposed to a percentage of the sales as a very, very stupid mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so recently, like, I think it was um, Eurogamer had an interview with him, and they were asking him some questions, obviously, about the games. And I feel a little bit bad for the guy, because so a lot of people think that he's writing books based off the Witcher games. <laughs> no, he came first. Yeah, he, he came first, right? So he created this awesome universe that we've all played mm-hmm. this game. And like, he, he created all the characters. He created the names. Like 
the, the games take place in his universe, but he created it. He's a very talented writer. He's awesome. Um, I bought you the first book. You did, yes. And that's a funny thing you brought that up because a lot of people don't know it because those books weren't translated to English. No, they were Until only... after the success of the video games. Here. Right, I think so. So there's a little bit of co-op success. So he he's not that stupid because he is getting more book sales mm-hmm. based off of the success of the video game. However, he's not making any money mm-hmm. on the sales of Witcher 3, which I don't know. I want to say at least 5 to 10 million copies of Witcher 3 have been sold. So if you want to even take a percentage of that, so that's that's sixty million, a hundred million dollars the franchise has made. No big deal. So this article says I was stupid enough to sell them rights to the whole bunch. They <laughs> offered me a percentage of the profits. I said no, there will be no profit at all. Give me my money right now, the whole amount. <laughs> it was stupid. I was stupid enough to leave everything in their hands because I didn't believe in their success. But who could foresee their success? I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> but. But to his, well, to his defense, he says, you know, I'm not, I don't play video games. I'm not a video game guy. I don't enjoy video games. I think they're kind of dumb. How is he to know that something like this? I mean, you would think that if he is considered the Tolkien of Poland, that people would want to play the game based on those books. And if he has that sort of success in Poland, why wouldn't he have thought that that storyline that and that that universe that he created would translate very well to RPG video games? Yeah, I, I think he was a little short sighted in the beginning, but I will also say it's very rare that a game comes out and gets progressively better over the course of three games and somehow doesn't lose any appeal and keeps picking up steam as it gets better and better. Because, because it plays like a novel. Well, Witcher, well, in Witcher 1, 2, and 3 are all very different kind of games. Witcher 1 is kind of more like a top-down. It was built on the Neverwinter Nights engine. Oh, really? And so it's almost more like... I mean, you play it in third person, but it almost feels like a like a, like a Baldur's Gate type of game. Oh, sure. Like It's very different. Witcher 2 was a third-person RPG like we had with Witcher 3, except it wasn't fully open-world. You'd go to an area, and it was open-world in that area. Oh. And then you'd progress through the story into a different area. And then Witcher 3, so they actually, that game evolved through a lot of the talent of CD Projekt Red. So, like, those guys... Very talented. You know, th- those guys took a good property and made an amazing video game. They didn't take an amazing property and make a good game. They they took <laughs> a, a good, cool, nice, neat property, and they, they expanded its success. So, al- although it doesn't ref- he doesn't get money off the sales of the game, he's absolutely getting more book sales based on the series. I mean, you could you could imagine that if somebody wrote like like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like let's say that nobody ever made movies out of it, but somebody created a video game out of it. I think that that would also do very well too. Yeah. And it would and it, all that stuff it's all cross marketing and cross promotion. Mm-hmm. It all leads to like if you have a really good book and then you make a really good game on it, that game is going to get people to play games who didn't know it was a book and go, oh, I'll buy the book and they'll buy the book. And then people who read the book go, well, I'll buy the game because I love the book. And it's back and forth. I mean, it's really fair. It's a lot like how Game of Thrones. I mean, I read the first Game of Thrones before there was ever um, any TV show about it. And I mean, I'll tell you, George R. R. Martin's writing style is not for everybody. He's very much like Tolkien in in the way that he has pages and pages of description. But once you get used to that, it becomes very, very 
easy to kind of sift through. But for that first, I tried, like, I read the, like, the first Game of Thrones book. I tried to read that four or five, six different times and just could not get past, like, the first chapter. I'm like, what is this? It was just, it was too much description. It was so much because he's introducing so much stuff. But once you kind of get past that first chapter and you're like, okay, so this is his normal writing style. It's not just like something he does like at the very beginning. Hmm. But then what he does, which I really like, is that he every every chapter or every section is from a different person's point of view. It's not first person, it's third person omniscient to throw a hmm. literary term term around, which is you get that narrator's insight but it's not spoken like i thought this and i thought that right it's, right you know cersei thought this and cersei you get cersei's kind of opinion and mental thing like mental capacity sort of decision making and everything but um it's it's still that third person so there are things that you don't know that the characters are thinking but it's whatever the author cho chooses to hmm. share so there you go yeah. now you know a little bit more about you know point of view well and i think that like it was funny because they said witcher 3 was gonna be the last game and then like after all this stuff was kind of coming out one of the guys at city project red was like oh well i mean we don't think it'd be fair to the fans if we never did another witcher game and so they've kind of said that, and then Mr. Sapkowski has also said that he's definitely writing more books in the Witcher universe. So it's just kind of cool. He's 100% in. He's like, oh yeah, we're definitely doing but more. But here's the thing, now, do you think, I'm just throwing this out here, he could write a book, a different book, that's in the Witcher universe, but with a different main character, and he could renegotiate a contract? Uh, it well it depends how the original contract is written. That's what I mean. I, without knowing what the contract was like, what it's he could hard. To... What he could probably do is do a new series that's not called Witcher, and ah. he could call something else, and it could just be one of those things like it exists in the same world. Mm -hmm. But he, you know, but again, that could be a fine line too, because it could be something like, oh, the contract is they have rights to use Witcher and all of its, you know, if, if I think if. I don't know. I don't know what the contract says, unfortunately. Just, if they, if they so gave bad him, for this guy. If they gave him wide open reign after that, like he said, hey, if you give me 10000 bucks, you can make as many games as you want based off of this for as long as you want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then there's, you know, CD Projekt Red's like, all right, sorry. They definitely got a good deal. Although I would assume they would like to still work with him, maybe do something where, like, you get, like, free audiobook vouchers with the game purchase something like you'd like to do something like some cross promo is always well, good i mean they could also just throw him a pro like a profit sharing kind of thing where it's like hey you know i know we didn't talk about this but they could but no company's gonna no do that. company will but it would it would have been a nice gesture to be like here we made seven million dollars on this game so here's ten thousand dollars <laughs> um cd project red hopefully invested in a really good attorney who had an ironclad contract because mm -hmm. there's no way that uh Sapkowski didn't try to get around that somehow well right well i mean like when you see all once that you money. sign once you sign that you yeah. sign that contract saying you know you're signing away all the likeness rights and and storyline and everything and like he said he didn't realize that it was going to be such a success. Yep. I mean, who would have thought? Because CD Projekt Red, Red, they're a Polish company, aren't they? Uh, I believe so. If they're so, not Polish, they're definitely in Europe. When I think sure video games, I don't really think Poland. Mm -hmm, exactly. 
so I mean this I mean I wouldn't consider it a fluke because they obviously have the chops and the storyline and the and the the animation and the dialogue they've got all of that going for them so I don't consider it a fluke they're hard working people that made a very good exactly game. it's and it's it's hard to feel bad for him because he did what he thought was right for him at the time mm-hmm. it was short-sightedness on his part but he still got paid for it yeah. you know and, and he still gets to keep writing and I mean everyone has mistakes you can look back in life and go man I wish I hadn't done that but I'm not really big on regrets. I, I just feel like if, if you if you like where you are right now, you can't have a lot of regrets because all the things that you've done in life have brought you to this moment right now. And if you start to have regrets and change things, who knows what you would change nowadays? So um, now no regrets. No, no regrets. So to finish it up, actually, my friend Rob emailed me oh. and he said he thought there'd be something he'd really like to hear about every week because he's a loyal listener every week. Aww. Rob, Rob um, is great. And so. He said he'd love to hear us talk about, like, every week pick one game, like a retro game that was kind of cool and important to us that okay. people may not have heard of. So what I want to start with this week mm-hmm. is one that you've got experience with as well. Oh. A Boy and His Blob. I was just going to say I love talking about A Boy and His Blob. So for the NES, there's this neat little game called A Boy and His Blob. Yes. So it reminds me of an old, almost like an old point-and-click adventure game. Mm-hmm. You go through levels, you have a blob with you, and you he feed him. He yeah, he follows you around. And you feed him jelly beans to make him do different things. Like a jelly bean will turn him into a ladder. Mm-hmm. Or it'll turn him into a springboard so you can jump mm-hmm. into different areas. And it's basically a big puzzle game. And you have to feed him jelly beans to turn into something so you can solve a certain puzzle. Right. Exactly. It's a, it's fantastic. There, And you only get a certain number of jelly beans for this game. I have yet to come across more jelly beans. But then again, I usually get stuck in the sewer. We We played this. <laughs> What do you think? Like maybe a year ago, we tried right. playing it mm-hmm. and we didn't get anywhere. And no. then we, we made, we, we gave him a jelly bean that turned him into a hole and then we jumped in the hole and we fell forever. <clears throat> and then you, and then you, you know, pretty much die. But pretty much we actually didn't die, but then we were stuck and we couldn't do anything. Yeah, it was you, really or, stupid. Or, you know, you try to get across something and it just, it's very challenging. And when I played it, I played it on my brother's Dreamcast emulator because he had oh, gotten nice. <laughs> he, I don't know what he did. He hacked it in some way and, and put an emulator on the Dreamcast because there I, were I no dream, there were no Dreamcast games. <laughs> but I played it. I had absolutely no. And this was kind of, I mean, the internet was around, but there wasn't. Like, your first thought wasn't to, like, check Google. Right. Well, there were no, like, YouTube videos and tutorials right. and stuff. It wasn't really like that, yeah. So, to this day, I, I still, like, I kind of almost refuse to look up certain things about this game in particular because I want to figure it out on my own. And I want to get to whatever is considered the end game of this. I have no idea. Yeah, I would like There's to... There's no purpose. I'd like to put some more time into it. Um, Because it was a game, what's funny is, as a kid, I never really had it. Mm-hmm. But I remember opening like a Nintendo Power and seeing it and thinking it was just the coolest. It's really cool. And like I, I would, I would, uh, I, I had a friend who had it and he would play it, but he wouldn't let me play. But I was watching him play it and it just seemed so cool. And the music was really good. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay. And so when you had kept talking about it, mm-hmm. how much you liked it and played it. So when I found that mint and box copy at Wizard World last year, I was like, okay, fine, I'll buy it for the collection. <laughs> and we tried it a little bit. We got to put more time to it. Maybe when we do our extra life stream this year. Oh yeah. Maybe we, you and me will play some Nintendo games. We'll try getting through that one. Yes. Yes. Um. But yes, that that is one of my one of my favorite retro and games. And they they did remake that game also for the Wii. I did hear that. 
We haven't played the Wii version. I own it, so we could play it if we want to, but I have not played the Wii version. But So that's your fun little lesser-known indie kind of, not indie, but lesser-known strange kind of hidden gem of mm-hmm. the Nintendo area we'll do for that week, because uh, Boy and His Blob. I love that game. Yeah, look it up. It's kind of fun. It's, it's fun, cool. and it's, you know, you, you get frustrated with your blob because he follows you, and you have to, like, toss the jelly bean in the air, and he catches it, and then he turns into something. Yeah. And sometimes, like, he doesn't catch it, and then you no. straight waste that jelly bean. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, dude, I only got so many jelly beans, mm-hmm. man. Like, come on. And you have more of certain kinds. Like, you only get, like, four that turn him into a rocket. Yeah, but you'll get, like, 20 that turn him into a ladder or mm-hmm. something, because you, you obviously need to do that more than, yes. than rocket into space, so... Yeah, All right. It's great. Look it up on YouTube. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> so, everybody, that's the podcast for today. It's been a, another wonderful uh, day spent with you all. Yeah. You can always contact us on, on Twitter at GameTradeGreg. At GameTalkGen. And you can always uh, email us. Uh, you can email me at the store, which is GameTradeLLC at gmail.com, or you can message us on Facebook. We have a Game Talk Radio on Facebook, which you can like, or you can just like us on GameTrade and send us messages there. Yeah, and, you know, obviously, if you're listening to this, you know we're on SoundCloud or YouTube. Yeah, and, and you can always <laughs> subscribe to us on YouTube. We appreciate that. Every time we see you and just one more subscriber, it just makes us feel good. Hey, people are listening. They <laughs> like us. Thank you, everybody, so much, and you all have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.